Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, the Counseling Director at Rolling Hills. This week we're beginning our series, Masterclass, where we'll be journeying through the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter. Jesus is our master, and we'll be taking a class all summer long on how we ought to live with His Gospel as our textbook. In this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is baptized, declares the good news, and says to his disciples, come follow me. Will you choose to come and follow him? We're so glad you're here to tune in for the start of this adventure with us, and as we hear about the beginning of Jesus's ministry. All right, well, good morning. Yeah, man, that's the kind of, that's kind of welcome I need right there. Right, Kyle, you can come back every week. Uh, man, this morning we are, we are starting a new series. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you, I'd love for you to open that up or you turn on your phones if you have an app there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some at our Next Steps table. You're more than welcome to go grab one now or on your way out. We'd love for you to grab one of those. That'll be our gift to you this morning. Uh, we'd love for you to have, have a copy of God's Word if you don't have a copy already. Mark, Mark chapter 1 is where we're at. And as we begin this new series, it's a series called Masterclass, where we're going to look and study the life and the teachings of Jesus. You know, over leading up to Easter, we looked at the last couple of chapters of the book of Mark, where, where we see Jesus moving towards the cross, laying down his life as a sacrifice for our sins and raising, rising on the third day uh, to bring new life. And we celebrated that last week in Easter. And really, as we prepared and thought about what, what this looked like, as we were as a team looking at where, where we would go as we're looking a number of months ago, we thought, you know, what it, wouldn't it be incredible to, to kind of go through that in Easter and then say, let's backtrack and say, how do we get there? How do we get to this point where Jesus is walking towards a cross, where he's carrying a cross and is crucified on a Roman cross and then raise, rises again, raises, rises, I didn't pass English, on the third day. And so that's what we're doing is kind of go back and look and say, who is this Jesus and, and study his life. And hopefully a truth, if you have your worship God, that, that'll kind of guide us through the next several weeks. Certainly it will guide us through this morning is you can fill this in the blanks there that everyone is following and being formed into something. Everyone is following and being formed into something. And what we're going to see in Mark these, this morning and throughout this, this book of Mark over the next 16 weeks is that Jesus is inviting us to follow and be formed into his likeness. That everybody's following and being formed into something, but Jesus is what we'll see in scripture is inviting us, each one of you, inviting you this morning to follow him and be transformed into his likeness. I'm going to go ahead and start off by reading kind of our focal passage for this morning, and it should be on the screen, but it's Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and we'll pray and kind of dive in this morning. It says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. He said, come and follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. And God, again, what we get to be a part of as we celebrate families and what you're doing in the family. God, we thank you for 
uh, bringing guests here to celebrate alongside those families this morning. We thank you for being able to celebrate you and what you've done, not only today in our lives, but as we look back through through scripture and through history to see all the things that you've done, how you've provided and you've answered prayers. And we celebrate those things, believing that you will do the same thing today. And my prayer this morning is that you would stir in our hearts. God, we would see that, that all of us truly are following and being formed into something, but you have invited us, Jesus, to follow you and to be formed and shaped into your likeness. And I pray that, God, that would, that would be communicated clearly this morning as we open up your word together. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. So the, the word masterclass, which again is the kind of the title, the, the theme of the series that we're working through the book of Mark, the word masterclass can you really be used in kind of two ways. One of those ways is to describe like extraordinary skill and usually by like athletes or actors and musicians when they put on a masterclass. I think personally, I think about the, the athlete Bo Jackson. And it, maybe you have, do we have a picture of Bo Jackson? Remember Bo knows, right? And you think of it like every time he walked on, onto a, a field, a sporting event, whatever he was, wherever he was playing, it was like a masterclass in what an athlete could do. It was just, it was just extraordinary what he could do with his, with his body, how he could break bats over his knee. And I tried that and it hurt, but he did it really well. If you ever seen him scale the wall and as he caught a ball in the outfield and ran it up, it was just incredible the things that he did with his body. Some of you would say, maybe those of you who are guests, y'all don't know this, but some here would say that they witness a masterclass every week when they come here and hear me preach. Stop it. That's not on. on. Uh, I'm joking, really. That is whole, I really fought myself as to actually saying that or not. So there's the master class in the skill when somebody does something and you're like, oh, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be done. But there's also master class in the fact that there are truly classes, things that you can take, classes that you can take that are taught by the masters or experts in certain disciplines. Actually, in 2014, there's a whole online platform that was introduced where you can take classes from the masters from individuals who are the masters in their, in their field. So, I mean, today you can learn, you can take voice lessons with Mariah Carey. That's, I mean, that's, it sounds great. You can hone your culinary skills with Gordon Ramsay. You can, uh, Steph Curry teaches ball handling and shooting and, and, and literally at your fingertips on any given day, the people who are, that are part of these online things, you can literally learn from the masters. You can be shaped and formed by following these individuals who teach these classes and, and ter- Personally, I'm not interested in learning how to shoot better. Like that's not something that I'm looking at or ball handling skills. I realized that I had no, no future in the NBA long ago. So that's not something that I need. And I'm pretty sure Mariah Carey has nothing to teach me. You should just listen to me while I'm by myself in the truck. But, but I do feel like I need a little bit of help living life without looking dumb. I need a little bit of help just living life in general what it looks like to live life, to do life well. And I don't think that I'm the only one. Some of you are like, I don't look dumb and I'll be the honest one in the book and say you sometimes do. But interestingly enough, way before 2014, at our fingertips, we've had, we have access to a masterclass right here in scripture. 
a masterclass in living the way that God has called us to live, living life the way that it was meant to be lived as we follow the master. And over the next several weeks, as we open up God's word, looking at the life of Jesus, the skill, the way that he lived, but also learning from him, learning from the master, what it looks like to follow him and to be formed and to shaped into his likeness. This morning, what I wanna do is threefold. First, I wanna look at and kind of set a foundation for us because we're gonna be in the book of Mark for several weeks. I wanna set a foundation for us of, of what the book of like the setting and the, and the context for the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Secondly, from this passage, what, what I wanna do is lay a foundation and answer the question of who Jesus is. Ask the question, who is Jesus? And, and answer that question for us. And lastly, just kind of quick as we wrap up, I wanna answer the question, what does it mean to follow and be formed by Jesus? So let's begin with this, the, a, a background or a setting, a context for the book of Mark. The book of Mark is the second book in the New Testament, right? If you're turned to the middle, which, or the beginning of the, Old, or the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark. He's the second book. He's the second gospel there. The author is a guy named John Mark. We just refer to him as Mark, but his name is John Mark. And he was not a disciple of Jesus, but he was really mixed up with a lot of guys who were super close. Right? He knew guys, he, he was close to some, some of the individuals who were a part of that or, or really close to, to that circle of folks. From what we understand, more than likely, he was probably the cousin of Barnabas. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, remember Barnabas. We, find, we meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Barnabas and Paul, who's a significant player in the New Testament, they go on a missionary journey. John Mark is actually on that missionary journey. John Mark is actually a part of the reason why Paul and Barnabas don't go on a second missionary journey together. Because there's a, there's a conflict that rises and there's sharp disagreement is the words in scripture. And Paul goes one way with Silas and Barnabas leaves and goes with John Mark on a different direction. We don't really know a whole lot about what happens on that missionary journey, but we do know that Paul and Barnabas or Paul and John Mark make up because later in scripture, there's, he refers to him in, in some kind words. But we also know that, that, Barnab or that, that John Mark is friends with Peter. Peter, the disciple. In 1 Peter, Peter refers to John Mark specifically. He says, he, he calls him my son, which that, not just that he is, he's not a truly a son, but that he's been discipling. He's come alongside. He's raising up John Mark in and, and, and the way of walking with Jesus. He's teaching him about Jesus. If we were to say that Peter was a disciple of Jesus and John Mark was more than likely a disciple of Peter. He followed Peter and learned from Peter what it meant to follow Jesus. And also early Christian writers, early church fathers, they recognized that John Mark was the writer for Peter. That when you read first and second Peter, more than likely it was John Mark, the writer of this gospel, who penned those letters for him. Which also means that when what more than likely happens is that when we're reading the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, we're getting the first hand accounts of Peter as he shared the life of Jesus and his experiences with Jesus, as he walked with Jesus. So we don't have Mark, or we don't have Peter writing a, a, a gospel and his, his, his experiences specifically, but what we see is more than likely what happens as we read Mark is Mark put together the stories that Peter told him on, on paper so that we could have them. The gospel account is, is widely considered by almost universally considered the, the first of the gospels to be completed. 
It's the first one that we have, even though it's the second in, in the New Testament, it's the one that was completed first. And, and, and the primary audience that he writes to is a group of Romans, not to, he's not writing to a group of, 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 of believers or a group of um, Jewish people. So that's why when we see the book of Mark, there's a lot that, there's, it's really fast paced and there's not a lot of details that you see in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Mark is really, really dense and, and, and is, is, it's the shortest, and I was telling this to somebody earlier, it's the shortest, uh, but it's action-packed, a lot like Jason Minor, who sang for us just a second ago, short but action-packed. That was his joke, not mine, so I can say it because he said it first, right? And I think he's going to buy me lunch for that, I don't know. Short but action-packed, right? But it does, it's the shortest of the four gospels. It's 16 chapters. It's the shortest by word count, by a significant margin. But it, in short, in being short, it's not a junior gospel. It is rich. It is a rich portrait of the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. It has great depth and, and the brevity of it is seen in the action packed of it, it, it that Mark uses the word immediately or at once 41 times in the 16 chapters that we have as this gospel account. One commentator says this, and we'll wrap up with this and move on to our second question. It says this, that in many ways, Mark's gospel has the same feel as one reading an on-the-spot news report. The narrative is vivid and fast-moving, action-packed. Jesus appears as the mighty Messiah, the Son of God, moving through the Galilean countryside, exercising authority. He calls disciples, he heals the sick, he casts out demons, he teaches with great authority. And there's a sense of awe and mystery that surrounds him with all those he encounters. You'll see that as we pass through, there's just so much that's packed into these 16 chapters. And there's one thing I wanna say, and maybe, maybe this whole setting of background and stuff, that doesn't interest you. It's the nerd stuff that I enjoy. And so maybe you just had to sit through that, but maybe you were interested. And that's not stuff that, that is just for me, right? That, all that information, one, it's not something that you should, it's not critical for you reading the scriptures or reading Mark, but, so don't get bogged down in it. But it is important. It's good to know it. And secondly, it's totally accessible. Yeah, really, all that, I, all that we just walked through there is, is accessible for you. You can grab that in, in any study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, I recommend the ESV or NIV study Bible, the CSB study Bible. All of those have all of this information and can help you not only in the book of Mark, but in all of the books that you read in scripture. You can find out all these things and helps kind of set the stage for what's happening in the book as you read it. And then secondly, there's another place that I would recommend wholeheartedly. There's a, a place called The Bible Project. I'd invite you to write that down, thebibleproject.com. And they have a, short videos on every book in the Bible that just gives a quick narrative of what's happening in the scriptures and where you can, where you, what, how it's divided up and who the audience and all of those things. It's an incredible resource. Truly, every time I start a new book of the Bible, when I'm doing quiet time or reading through scripture, I go back to Bible Project just to watch the video. So you, it's, it's accessible for all of us, no matter where you are. So I'd invite you to jump into those and, and, and grab that. But this is, it's the setting that we know what's happening so we, we can see the way that this is all moving and, and understand why we, why we read what we read and, and to the people that he's writing it to. And, and the, but the second question that we really wanna answer as we start this whole series is who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
You know, it happens about every year that somebody comes up with the real Jesus and the National Geographic tells us who the real Jesus was or Time Magazine tells us who the real Jesus is. But I, I, I'm glad that they do that. But the reality is scripture does a pretty good job of telling us who the real Jesus is. And if what they tell us doesn't match what scripture tells us, I'm gonna go with scripture first. And Mark chapter one does a great job of letting us know who Jesus is. It's important that we know who Jesus is. When we ask the question, verse, verse one, chapter one, verse one, Mark begins with an introduction as he begins the gospel. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So in the very first verse of the, of the book of Mark, this very first thing that John Mark says to us is in an introduction of who Jesus is. This is gonna be, he's gonna tell us the good news of the Messiah, the Son of God. Now we're gonna talk about Son of God in just a second. We'll start with Messiah. And, and what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? Right out of the gate, he tells us that this is the good news. And we understand that Jesus is the Messiah and that's what makes this the good news. Because Messiah, or some of your scripture, maybe you have a different version than, than what I'm reading in the NIV. It, it may say the Christ or Christ, Jesus Christ. And here's something that I just wanna make sure that everybody knows. Christ is not Jesus's last name, okay? It's not Jesus's last name. Mary didn't say Jesus something, middle name, Christ. That's not what he said when she was calling him. That's not his last name right? Christ is a description and Messiah and the Christ are, are, can be interchangeable. Some, some scholars, some uh, interpreters would interchange those two words because what it means is that Christ or the Messiah is the anointed one, God's chosen one. He's the promised one, the one that the, the prophets from long ago pointed to. This is the one that it would come. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He says that the prophets would, would tell, would, God sent prophets over and over again to warn and, and to call the people of God to repentance, but Jesus is not one of those prophets. Jesus is the, what the prophets proclaimed. He's the, one, he's the one that they promised would come. Jesus is and has been God's plan from the very beginning to rescue and to redeem and to restore the creation that was broken by sin. So he's the Messiah. John the Baptist, as we go through the rest of this passage, the next verses, the next couple of verses, John the Baptist is, is proclaiming, he's one of those prophets that's proclaiming Jesus is the one that's gonna come. And it says in verse two of Mark, it says, as, a, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare a way. And so John the Baptist is that messenger. He's the messenger that Isaiah prophesied that's gonna go before Jesus and, and prepare the way for Jesus. It's what the angel told his mom, before Elizabeth, before she had him, when, when, before she was pregnant with John the Baptist, it was that this is what Jesus would do. And so he's proclaiming and pro pointing the way to Jesus. And what John the Baptist tells us, what he gives us an introduction after Mark gives us the introduction. John the Baptist gives us another one, and he calls him the mighty one. If you go to verse four, it says this. And so John, excuse me, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And you jump down to verse seven, it says, and this was the message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I baptize you. This is John saying this. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he calls, he says that he's more powerful than I. He's mightier than I. 
Maybe in your translation, it says mightier than I am. So why does it matter that he's the mighty one? Well, he's the Messiah, right? He's the promised one who's come to rescue and redeem and and restore what was broken by sin. And I think it's fairly important for us to understand that the one that's called to do that has has got to be up to the task. He's got to be up to the task that he's been sent for. And I mean, sometimes you realize when you send your kids to do something that they're not up for the task of what they're going to do. But that's not the case when God sends his son into the world to rescue and restore and redeem. He's the mighty one. The Messiah, the one who's the, the Christ, the promised one who's sent into the world that's going to rescue and restore and redeem what was broken by sin. He's the mighty one who is able to do what he's, what he's been sent to do. He's not lacking the ability. He's not lacking the, the strength to do what God's called him to do. And it's important for us to understand that throughout Scripture, that, or throughout the, the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, what the Gospel writers are doing for us And when they tell the stories of what Jesus is doing and when they tell us about his miracles and his teachings, is they're not telling us about Jesus walking through through these towns doing circus shows and, and, and putting on magic tricks for people. He's displaying the power and the might to do what he's been called to do. When he restores those who are broken, when he heals the sick, he's, he's displaying the fact that he has the power to heal the sick. He has power over death. He has power over nature. He has power over the spiritual realm. And that is the reason why he's the mighty one. He's able to do what he came to do. It puts on display the fact that he can set right what was wrong. That he can undo what sin has broken and restore creation. And this last one, which is so important for us, that he's the son of God, loved by God. He's the son of God, loved by God. In Mark 1, verse 9 through 11, it says this, that at that, at that time, Jesus, he comes to the river where John is, where he's baptized. And Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. In verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Really everything that we have from verse one to 11 is an introduction, but right here, right here in verse 10 and 11, something incredibly special happens. Because Jesus comes up from the water and it says that the heavens were torn open. I don't know what that looks like. I, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend to tell you that I, that I see, I, I can tell you what that looks like, but, but it's got to be a significant moment. When the heavens are torn open and the father proclaims, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Is there a better source for us to understand and be introduced to who Jesus is than the Father? Is there anybody else that we could go to that could better tell us who Jesus is than God the Father? And you think about what it says for a second, that that this is my son, which means that the infinite God, the, the one who has no beginning and no end, has entered a finite world. The creator has entered the creation that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that all of the fullness of God dwelled richly, dwelled completely in Christ. He is fully God and fully man, that Jesus, the God man, the the one who is fully God and fully man, experienced everything that we experienced, all the joy and the sorrow, all the laughter and the tears. He was rejected. He was tempted. He was overlooked just like each and every one of us have been. 
He's experienced all those things. And Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 15 says he does all of that, and yet he was without sin. And that's important. It's important that he was the son of God, that he was fully God and fully man, and that he was without sin because, because if he was not those things, he was not the Messiah. If he was not fully God and fully man and sinless, then he couldn't be the mighty one. And if he wasn't fully God and fully man, if he wasn't the son of God, then there's truly no reason for us to gather and sing songs together. There's no reason for us to open up God's word. There's no reason for us to do all of this. You would be, you'd better spend your time at the lake if Jesus wasn't who scripture says he is. But the fact that he is means that we do have hope. The fact that he is who he says he is, he is who scripture says that he is, means that we do have hope, that he alone is able to rescue, to carry on himself the penalty of sin that we deserved. He, he's able to carry for that. And, and by laying his life down on the cross, he takes the full punishment that we deserve for our sin and rebellion. If he, wasn't, if he wasn't the son of God, the Messiah, the mighty one, then he died a death and it doesn't matter, but he is. And because he died that death, we have hope today. The reason we can sing songs is because he did what he did. He was who he says he was. I'm gonna get to the last, but I, I feel like I need to say this before we move on. In that moment, he pulls back the curtain or he tears open the, the, the heavens. And he tells, he says, this is my son, whom I love and I'm well pleased. And think about all the things that, Jesus, that God could have said in that moment. This is my son who's gonna be the Messiah. He, said this, he could have said, this is my son and just listed all of the, the promised one. He could, have said, he's, he could have said all kinds of things. But what he said is, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. And you think about this in the chron, 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 words. chronologically, in what's happening in the book of Mark. Jesus hasn't done one miracle at this point. He's not called one disciple. He's not, he's not done anything but lived a life. He's about 30 years old. He's not done anything but lived a sinless life, which is awesome, right? He's done that. But he's not done any of the things that we know him for. Not one miracle, not one disciple. He hasn't faced one Pharisee and, and, and told them the truth boldly. He's not done any of those things. And yet, in that moment, God tears open the sky and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I'm not gonna to get to the rest of what we're gonna talk about because I think some of you, some of us need to hear this this morning. Because for those who put their faith in Jesus, he calls us his children. And he looks at you with that same tearing open of the heavens love of the father and says, you are his son and daughter in whom he is well pleased. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. So many of us, we look at this and we're like, yeah, that's cool. Jesus is Jesus. I'm not. But what I'm telling you is that when we put our faith in Jesus, the way that God responds to us is the same way that God responds to him. And it's not because of all that you're done, I'm well pleased. It's because you're my son that he's well pleased with you. And you can't change that. 
Because you're his daughter, he's well pleased with you. And you can't change that. There's a really dark side to that part, this story though. And I would be foolish not to say it. That for some of us, some in this, we've, we've never put our faith in Jesus. And scripture says that because of that, we're, we are still separated from God. And our only hope is to put our faith in him. And the, the reason why many of us struggle with life in general, the reason why we're so distraught in, in general is because we're doing our very best to try to make things happen and to make life work on our own. And we fail and we fail and we fail. And what Jesus is inviting us to today is to follow him and be formed and shaped by him, to put our faith in him. And when we put our faith in him, we become his children. And listen, nothing separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe wholeheartedly that some of us need to hear that this morning. And we don't know, we have not put our faith in Jesus. You've made all kinds of excuses. And maybe today the gospel is moving in your heart where you need to put your faith in Jesus. We need to move to, to put that faith in Jesus because you're longing, what you truly are longing for is for somebody to say that they're well-pleased. And the promise of scripture is that he says that over his children. And maybe that, that's the step that you need to take this morning. I'll give you the, the blanks because I think some of you type A's are gonna lose your minds if I don't. <laughs> what does it mean to form, to form ah, what does it mean to follow Jesus and to be formed by him? It means trusting in Jesus. It means trusting in Jesus. It means you don't understand everything, but we know that the one that we're trusting in is good and faithful. And he's working all things for our good and for his glory. It means also to learn from Jesus. Learning for recognizing that we don't have it all figured out and we need him to teach us what it looks like, what it looks like to live a life that he's called us to live. And throughout history, followers of Jesus have learned from Jesus by intentionally putting themselves before Jesus by practicing the core, the core principles or the core practices, daily spending time with him in word, in, in his word and in prayer and regularly spending time with God's people in worship and community. So we're learning from Jesus by reading his word and spending time with him in word and prayer and in worship and in community with his people, being transformed by Jesus. These disciples, they got out of the boat and they left. They left what they knew to become something new. And Pastor Jacob's scripture from our Franklin campus made the statement and unapologetically, I'm gonna steal it from him. He says this, that following Jesus is more than knowing information. It's a living transformation. It's a process. And so some of us said that, that the reason why we don't take that next step is because we don't feel like we figured it out. You don't have to, I didn't. I'm prayerful that those four kids right here don't wait till they figure it out to put their faith in Jesus, but they put their faith in Jesus and the process is that they learn more about him and they become more like him over time. And that in early age, he rescues them from the sorrow and the heartache that they would face if they don't put their faith in Jesus. Lastly, it means that we join him in his mission. He says, come and follow me. He says, come and follow me. 
And he tells us what his mission is in Luke chapter 19 to come and seek and save the lost. And reality is that we join him in the mission to seek and to save the lost. And and some of us are like, oh, whoa, that means I'm gonna have to move to Africa. Listen, most of the disciples never moved very far, if at all, from their homes. Most of the disciples never moved very far, if at all, from their homes. It turns out that joining Jesus on his mission, some may go far away, but it turns out that joining Jesus on his mission is really joining him right where you are. In your home and in your neighborhood and at work and your community, on sidelines of your kids' sports teams or whatever, joining Jesus in his mission. This masterclass over the next several weeks is really just gonna be us looking at the life of Jesus and asking him to teach us what it looks like to follow him. And I said this last week and I mean it wholeheartedly that we're gonna go through this for the next 16 weeks. And I believe that if you give us 16 weeks to study the life of Jesus, then your life will be transformed. And, and I don't, I, you, some of you heard me say this at, at last week after I, my, my wife was like, that was a little rough. Like, no, I, I'm gonna say, I'll say it again. Come 16 weeks, study the life of Jesus with me. And if your life is not transformed at the end of that, don't come back, go to the lake. But I don't think that you can come in here and open up God's word with me and study the life of Jesus and not be transformed by him. I, don't th- I, I think you would fight it every, every moment. So that's the challenge over the next several weeks is we're gonna continue to look at this and ask God to move and to shape and to mold us as we follow him to form us into his image. I'm gonna invite Greg and uh, the ushers to come forward. Each week as we gather, we worship through the songs that we sing. Uh, We open up his word together and worship and and learn from him. But we also, we worship through giving. Uh, And so for those of you who are guests, we are not asking you to give. You're more than welcome to, I'm not gonna stop you. But we're not asking you for money. Uh, what we're asking you is to just maybe take a second and fill out that connect card and drop it in the, bu- in, the, in the basket as it passes. And if you don't get it right now, you can drop it at the next steps table on your way out. But we would love to connect with you and pray with you if you have prayer requests. For those of you who are a part, this is your home, this is your family. We thank you for giving and to giving regularly and proportionally and sacrificially because your giving allows us to do what we get to do and allows us to carry the gospel message from our neighbors to the, to the nations. And we're so thankful for that and glad that you're partnering with us in that effort. Uh, I'm gonna pray for the offering uh, and then I'm gonna ask Greg just to sing a song as they collect that and then I'll come back up uh, in just a minute to close us. So Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing and the fact that we get to be a part of it. God, I pray that this morning that as, God, your word has been opened and we preach and we work through it that your promises would come true, that your word does not return void. And so I know wholeheartedly, God, that in this room, there are individuals who needed to hear that, that you as the father tear back the, tear back the skies. And with that same joy, you speak over, you spoke over Jesus, you speak over us, that we are your children in whom you, are, you love and are well-pleased. For God, for those who maybe that's stirring in their hearts and they, they want to know that, God, I pray that, that God, you would continue to move. And, and in a moment, as we have some opportunity, God, that we would have a conversation about what that means to follow you. God, use these offerings this morning and allow it to take your gospel from, 
from our neighborhood here to the nations where more could hear about your great name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this content has blessed you in some way, we hope you will share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss a new sermon. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.com. Church. Tune in next week for more of our series, Masterclass.